where the next uh, four weeks will be a little bit different because we're focusing in on our capital campaign and our goals. Um, And if you're a visitor here, I think it's actually a great time to visit Christ Community Church for the next four weeks. You might think, oh, gosh, capital campaign. I mean, then this, this churches are always asking for money, and I just walked into a four-week money series. And, but I, I would say this. In the four weeks of being here, you're going to get a chance to hear the vision and the heartbeat of Christ Community Church. And that's really what you would want to base, one of the main things you would want to base your decision on joining a church is just, What's, what, what makes Christ Community Church or this church, what, what makes their heart race? What do they get excited about? What are they into? <clears throat> and then when you talk about money, money is the thing that's probably closest to almost everybody's heart. And so you would want to know, hey, if this is such an important thing to me, and it is, well, I want to hear how they talk about money. Because this is a very important thing to me, and I want to know how they talk about their, their vision and their faith and their love for the Lord, but also want to hear how that affects money because that always is affecting me. And of course, we know Jesus knew that. And that's why he spent more time talking about money than anything else other than the kingdom of God. Isn't that interesting? You'd think it might be heaven or hell or prayer or the Bible or a number of other great topics that he certainly addressed. But in terms of his quantity of time, he spent more money talking about more, more time talking about money. And I think that's because he recognized what we probably recognize is our, our heart is connected to money in some way, or money is connected to our heart. And so he's trying to get at our heart, and he uses that avenue to get us in that place. Now, I want to take a moment just to introduce the folks that are here from the capital campaign. I'm going to get them to stand up as I uh, say their name because then you, you might have a question about the capital campaign at some point and you can't reach me or you know one of these people better or they're just sitting next to you. And all these people have been working for several months to make this thing successful and I want to be thankful to them but also give them a, uh, help them, help you know them. Ned Marable is our capital campaign director. Just stand and stay standing, Ned. Grayson Spatel, Dorothy Griffin, Morgan Kennedy, Chuck Barzon, Claude Owens, Joe Prilliman, Sharon Radford, Tom Schramm, and Bill Hatcher. So all those folks that I named, thank you all very much for your effort. But those are, th- these are all people who have been involved for many months. <clears throat> and they, if you had a question, they probably could answer your question about the capital campaign. And they've really done a great, great job. And I know they're, they're excited and probably just a little bit nervous, right, Ned? Just a little bit nervous about how this whole thing is going to turn out. And I would say, speaking for them, <clears throat> we have two primary goals. One is we would want you to leave the capital campaign with crystal clarity on what we're trying to do and why we're trying to do it. Whether it's the, a sermon or whether it's the brochure or whether it's a conversation or whether it's a video or whether it's an email home or whether it's one of the prayer times, all these things are meant to clear up any question you have about, well, why are we even doing this? What's the whole purpose? What are, you, what are we trying to, to accomplish? So my hope is a lot of that gets answered here this morning from the sermon and just you looking at the brochure. But as you go along, we want to have clarity, and we wouldn't want you to hesitate to to ask us any questions you have. And our second goal 
really comes from 2 Corinthians, and Bill mentioned it in his uh, prayer time this morning, that in 2 Corinthians 8, 5, as we read, that Paul is encouraging the people to give. And the first thing he's encouraged by is the people gave themselves to first to the Lord. Before they gave of what came out of their pockets or came out of their purse, they first gave their hearts to the Lord. And there's no doubt that if 400 people that come to Christ Community Church give their hearts to the Lord first, then all the other goals will, will be taken care of. So our hope is really an internal aim rather than an external aim. I don't know if you've seen this show, and I don't want you to think I stand, I've sit at home and watch it, but it's called Tidying Up. Anybody know this show? Few people know it. <clears throat> I've only seen it one time, okay? I promise. But somehow somebody sent me this link to it, and I thought, oh, this is a funny show. And it's per- perfect for my illustration of just how I would want you to think about what we're talking about this morning. This uh, really petite, very winsome Japanese lady comes in to your junky old house, right? And it's your closet's chaotic, your kitchen's chaotic, your whole life's chaotic probably. And she comes in and she's very nice, but she's very firm about all the junk you have. And what she does is she comes in, let's say to your bedroom, and she says, okay, the first thing I want you to do is take all of your clothes out and put them on your bed, like your closet or your dresser doors or wherever your clothes are. I I need you to make a big pile of every piece of clothing you have, put it on the bed. Or if you are a guy and you have a big garage, she makes you take it all off the shelves and you put it right in the middle of your garage, just in a real big pile. And then she just lets you just stand there and stare at it for a few minutes just to see all the stuff that you have. And then one by one, you take every piece of clothing or everything from your garage and you hold it. It's a little strange, actually, but you hold it and then you decide, you know, I want to keep it or do I need to give it away? And that's how you sort of begin to declutter your life, your closet, your kitchen, your garage. It's a great little picture of what I would want you to do somewhere in the next four weeks is to take all of your finances, whatever has financial value, could be your home, could be your retirement, could be your car, could be your career, your paycheck, could could be your savings, whatever that is that has financial value and put it on your kitchen table. And you or you and your wife or you and your family, just stand back and say, okay, this is everything today that God has given me. And it's all his. Everything is his. I mean, I might have a title to my car or a title to my house, but it's really his. And all I'm doing is I'm entering this world at a certain date. I'm stewarding the stuff. And then I'm going to leave. And then I'm going to have to face God. And he's going to say, Paul, I gave you X amount of stuff over 55 or 85 years. I, I was the one who gave it to you. How'd you do on investments? And so I want to be a good steward of that moment. And so I just want you to to put it all in a big pile. Some piles will be bigger than others. And just say, Lord, what do you want us to keep? And what what do you want us to give away? And if you look at your stuff and you've given your heart to the Lord first, whatever you decide in your heart, that'll be the right thing. 
But it's hard to go through that process. It, it's challenging because your heart gets connected to stuff, and you don't really realize how connected it is until you, all, you look at it. And you say, you know what, I might leave this moment with some of the stuff being given away, and that can be a challenge. So the first thing I want us to do uh, in this sermon is I want to try to answer the question, how did Christ Community Church arrive at this capital campaign? Some of the stuff that you'll know, but uh, Christ Community Church started in 2002, 17 years ago, almost to the date. It was March of 2002. And for nine years, we met at Temple Baptist Activity Center. So if you go down Fairview and you take a ride on George Anderson, it's now called the Midtown Y. And that's the Temple Baptist Activity Center. And we met there for nine years or for, yeah, for nine years or for seven years, sorry. And during that time, we purchased the eight acres that we own right here. We purchased it in cash and we just kind of sat on it. We said, one day we want to build a church there. And in 2007, there were about 180 people that were attending regularly Christ Community Church. And we decided, hey, we're ready to move out of the gym and into a building. And we decided to do a capital campaign. And we uh, calculated that this building, and it was built almost to the, the first design, would cost us $3.4 million. So to do the whole land and the parking lot and the building was 3.4. And we calculated according to the money that we had coming out in terms of how we could pay a mortgage that we needed to raise $1.8 million dollars over the course of a three-year campaign. And then if we were left with 1.4 or 1.5 or $1.6 million on the note, then we would be able to pay that monthly. And so we had, we'd never done a capital campaign. We asked a capital campaign consultant to come in and you know, we need your help and your expertise. And they said, hey, for your church size and for the, the amount that's given every year to your church, you could probably raise $1.2 million max. And we were like, man, we need 1.8 because 1.2 is not going to get us there. And they said, well, that'd be awesome. I just don't want you to be discouraged because we've done this many times. And, you know, you might be at a million, but if you really do re really well, you'll be at 1.2. And we were, we finished the capital campaign with a commitment Sunday, much like we're what we're going to do here in uh, three, sun three weeks from now or four weeks from now. And we were in the gym. And I'll never forget the guy who was the capital campaign director, Reggie Stanley. He calculated all the money that had been given. And we were, afterwards, we had a big lunch. And he's, he walked across the gym. And I knew he had the number. And he looked like a person who was about ready to explode. And he came up to me, just as nervous, told himself, Paul, 1.825 million dollars. And he exploded in joy, and I never saw Reggie again after that moment. <laughs> but it was such a great moment. I called the capital campaign team, you know, the guy that we'd work with. He said, Paul, we just don't have category for you. We don't know what to say. You're not in the top 1%. You're just not in a percent at all. You're just, you did, something happened there that we, we can't describe. And what I would say is 180 people gave their hearts to the Lord. And they're so committed to what we were doing, so committed to the Lord, that that's what happened. That's how it works. And so it was such a great, great moment. 
And so when we, we did that, we th- then were able to move in here in 2009. And then a couple of years ago, we could just see the numbers growing outside of one service. And we were trying to figure out, well, what, what's the next thing we're supposed to do here? And we took some time and we decided, hey, we think the best thing to do is to take this wall right here and knock it down and move it out basically to the sidewalk. And that would almost double the sanctuary space. And it was kind of like, you know, enclosing your garage. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to do a lot of work for it. You just kind of take down the wall, move a few walls. And it was sort of seemed the simplest thing for space. And also at the moment, it seemed like the best thing to do financially. And so we had a lot of conversations about that. And I would say at a couple of points, many of us that we're talking about thought this is going to happen. This is going to be the next thing. But it, it was a little costly to, to do some site work and get some people to do some engineering on it. And I wasn't sure it was going to work. And I just didn't want the church to be out any money on something I was leading that I didn't know was going to work. So after one of the meetings, I just wrote a check to the church for $5,000 because I just didn't want any of your money going to something I was going to lead that wasn't going to happen. And you know what? It didn't happen. We got to a point, I was actually standing in the uh, grass talking to Greg Taylor about it, and we both were looking at each other talking, and we kind of looked at each other at the same time and said, yeah, that's not going to work. And it really was, it was discouraging. You know, you've been there, right? You, you kind of were going down one track, it looked like it was going to be the, the track, and then you realized it, you know, it wasn't a road, it was cul-de-sac. And so you had to back back up, but thankfully, I'm old enough now, 55, to remember plenty of no's that I got from the Lord that were good. I thought they were, I thought it should be a yes. I couldn't understand why it wasn't a yes. But then later on I go, yep, yep. I'm so glad that didn't happen. And so it caused us really to back up and to think about the church as a whole rather than just what's happening in the sanctuary. And that whole process turned into what we call Christ Community Church 2.0. And in your weekly newsletter, there'll be a couple of links to it. We've had a couple of different conversations about it one a video, one an audio, and you can listen to our whole vision. I don't have time to unpack that there. But one, one now, but part of our vision, one sliver of the vision is to raise money for a capital campaign. And we have two external goals for it. One is we want to raise $1 million that would pay off the debt in total. So when we started, we had a $1 million note left, and we thought, well, let's just let's have a capital campaign first to pay this whole thing off. And doing that over the life of the loan saves us $300,000 in interest, which is pretty significant. And then every year, we give about $80,000 of our budget to the mortgage. So without that, now we have $80,000 back into our budget every year to think about to use for ministry. So that was one of our first goals. And then we realized that we're not going to be able to build a new building, so we want to use some things in this building and upgrade some things in this building that now that it's 10 years old need some upgrades. And we felt like with the internal things, the external things, some staffing issues, all that would be about $200,000. So that's how we arrived at a $1.2 million goal for this capital campaign. Now, we want to that's a sort of a very brief overview. Now I want to look at 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, and I want us to examine this passage, which is the, 
the longest single passage about sacrificial giving in the New Testament. And what's happening here is the Apostle Paul is writing a letter back to a church that he planted. And he's asking them to be a part of a project that he's involved with. And what he's going to do is he's trying to take some money, and Bill Hatcher mentioned this, take some money from churches that are a bit more prosperous, the ones in Greece, and give money back to a poor church that started the whole thing back in Jerusalem. That's his goal. And he's coming in and he's exhorting this church that he planted to be sacrificial, to be generous in their giving. And although there's a lot of content here, I just want to mention two motives that Paul gives to motivate his congregation to think about what they would want to do for this project. And I want these to be two major motivations for you as you consider it yourself as we try to move forward here in 2019. The first motive is he wants your giving to come from the heart. It's the first thing. And you notice it in several different ways. Look at 8 verses 3 and 4 with me. He's recalling the churches in Macedonia, which are north of Corinth, but still in Greece. And he's saying, hey, you know those churches up in Macedonia? They gave according to their means, and then they gave beyond their means. And they gave of their own free will. And then notice verse 4. They begged us earnestly to take part. See, Paul's not coming and begging the congregation to give. He's coming to the congregation, and the congregation is begging Paul to give. What a a great thing. That, That there's so much energy, free will, of their own desire to give. And this reminds me a little bit of that passage when Moses is going to build the first tabernacle. Remember, they come out of, the, the, um, out of Egypt, they're in the desert, and God says, build a tabernacle, basically a really fancy tent that's going to go in the middle of the people. This is going to be the sort of the first church building, so to speak. And Moses says, hey, God wants us to do this, and you need to contribute to this capital campaign. And this is what it says in Exodus 36, very fascinating passage. The people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded. So Moses had to give this order to the people. No one is to make any more offerings. Now, I'd be happy to make that announcement next week. That just after this one service, there's so many offerings, I can say, you know, no more. No more. We can't handle more than this. So this is what it says. The people had to be restrained from giving more. This feels like the Macedonian churches. They, they were begging Paul, oh, we want to be a part of this. We've seen what God's done for us. We want to help other people in some way. So Paul's making this, make sure this motivation comes from the heart, and, and he reiterates it in verse 8 of chapter 8. You notice he says, I say this not as a command. See, Paul planted the church. He's an apostle And he could sort of come in a little bit heavy-handed. Any church planner named Paul could come in a little heavy-handed. But he wants to just make sure crystal clear, I'm not making any commands. I'm just telling you what happened in this other church. I'm telling you what the needs are. And I'm just saying, you want to take part in it. We, We want it to come from your heart. We want you to do it in that way. And then in verse 7 of chapter 9... I prefer how it reads in the NIV because they use the word heart rather than mind. 
It says, each man should give what he has decided in his own heart to give. Cardia, that's the word there, you know, that cardiac arrest. Decided in his own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Hear that, hear that motive Paul is saying? I, I want, God and Paul really are saying, I want the motivation to be an internal joy, not an external demand. And I would say this, in God's eyes, your generosity or my generosity isn't what comes out of your wallet, it's what comes out of your heart. That's kind of the measuring stick that he uses. So if you, if you pile up a big pile of money, it comes out of your heart, great. If you pile up a small amount of money, it comes out of your heart, great. But either one of those and it comes out of your wallet for other purposes, that, he doesn't think about that. That doesn't count, so to speak. And someone might say, well, I, I hear what you're saying, Paul, that it's giving is not really commanded here, but what about tithing? I mean, isn't tithing a command? It's an Old Testament command. You're supposed to give 10%. And to that, I would say a couple things. One, that's a bigger discussion than I have time for right here uh, about how the New Testament sees tithing, which I don't think is a command. But I would say this, even if you did, in Matthew 23, Jesus actually has a conversation to people who are doing great at tithing. In fact, so great he comes in and says, you guys are giving 10% of every single thing. I mean, your spices, your time, your talent, you're, you're doing it just right in terms of the law. But then he says, woe to you. Hmm. See, if you give every, that what was happening in the Pharisees in Matthew 23, they were giving everything away in order for them to look good. And they were either trying to look good to God to say, see, I'm, I'm one of your special people. I give 10%, so I get a little bit more favor, right? Or they were trying to look good to other people. Mm, look at that guy. He gives this large sum of money. And Jesus is saying to these people, if you give your money away in order to look good to God or look good to mankind, then you're not giving, you're buying. You're trying to buy God's favor or you're trying to buy something from men, some reputation, and there's no applause for that. See, in God's eyes, generosity isn't based on what comes out of your wallet. It's based on what comes out of your heart. So Paul doesn't make a command. He wants the, the giving to come from a place of joy. And I would say for us at Christ Community, for our capital campaign, if, if in any way... You feel like for me or really anybody else commanded or coerced, then we're not communicating clearly because that's not our goal. Our aim is joy. That's our, our aim. And if we, if we aim for joy and not a number, then whatever the number is, we'll be happy with that. But see, we could aim for a number and actually exceed the number and not have joy and I think to God, that would be like, I, that's not what I was looking for. wasn't looking for a number. I'm looking for something to happen in people's hearts here, Paul. And that's what our aim is. And that's the Apostle Paul's aim. That's God's aim. And of course, that's our aim. So one motivation is to come at it from an internal perspective, to, to make joy the, the basis of your giving rather than some kind of command. The second motivation is to ask the question, where, where, where does this joy come from? 
I mean, if money is such an important thing and it's so connected to your heart, you got to have something bigger than that that's going to kind of overwhelm the, the money fear that you might have or the money grab that you might have. So what is it as Christians that we would say gives us a constant internal well of joy from which we can draw from and give generously? What is that? It's the cross. It's gospel. I mean, that's not a newsflash if you're a member here at Christ Community Church. That's the thing. And that's exactly what Paul says in chapter 8, verse 9. Notice what he says. For you know. He's talking to these people. He planned to this church. You guys, you guys know. Or if you're from the north, you guys. If you're from the south, you all. You know. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's what he's trying to get at. You got, you got to know this, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. That's the motivation. That's the well that never ends. And that well has to be sunk way down deep in your soul. And so that's his motivation for that. And so I would say if you're struggling to be generous, not just in your finances, but maybe your forgiveness. What's going to cause you to become a more forgiving person, a radically forgiving person? Staring at Jesus. What's going to cause you to be more radically compassionate? Staring at Jesus. What's going to cause you to be more radically loving or radically generous? It's staring at Jesus. So if you're struggling in some area, what I would say is stare at Jesus. Get to know him. Make sure it's buried all the way down deep. And what I'm afraid of is that for some of us, we know it, but underneath really deeper is money. Pride. Anger. And so those things never go away because the gospel never gets all the way down. And so I'd say if you're struggling, we would want you to spend time with Jesus enough that you can say at the end, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And when you can get to that point, whatever God puts in your heart or your mind to give, that's the, that's the number. So we have a, a metric of how many people give what number, but that's just to help you think through what you might do. But really what we're trying to get all of us to think about is, has the gospel gotten all the way down? And are we giving out of a place of joy rather than out of a sense of guilt or obligation or being commanded? I want to conclude by just saying how this works sort of concretely in the life of a family, and I'll use my family as an example. <clears throat> 17 years ago, the Phillips family sat down, little four square. Me, Nancy, Morgan, Zachary. Morgan's eight, Zachary's ten. And I say, hey, let's jump off a cliff. We feel like God's calling us to start a church. But we have to all be in, all four of us, the eight-year-old, the 10-year-old, 
And at that point, the 39-year-olds. We sat there, and I was probably the most nervous. My kids started crying. And Nancy's passion carried all the three of us to say yes. I mean, we wanted to say yes, but all of us have some nervousness. And Nancy's like, I've got enough yes in me to cover all four of us. And so we all said, yes, we're going to jump off the cliff, Dad. And when you start a church, it's kind of like having a baby. You have a lot of joys. You have a lot of terror. And you don't, you, people tell you stuff, but you don't know until you go through it exactly how much joy and sacrifice is required. And that's pretty similar to a church. 2007, we have our first capital campaign. It's a big number, 1.8 million. The leader has to lead in this in some way, not, not necessarily in number, but in terms of making some kind of sacrifice. And we don't have any big margin in our monthly budget. We don't have retirement that we can use. So we're like, the only money we have to give is our house. So we have another little Phillips powwow. And I look at my wife and my two kids and say, if we're going to radically give, we've got to sell our house. That was harder for Nancy, as you might imagine. But they all said, yeah, we're, in, we're all in. So we sold our house, and money that we made for a house went to the capital campaign. And I thought about Proverbs 31, a wife of noble character. Who can find See, that's a tough, that's a tough conversation. It's a real conversation. That's a conversation you're going to have to have with yourself or your family or your spouse. So now two months ago, we're having another capital campaign. Nancy and I know some conversation is coming. And the way it usually works is I sit and think about it. And then I say something to her and then she gets a chance to sit and think about it. And then we'd say, let's say we're together, whatever we're thinking. So we're driving back from Rockingham, which is where my grandson lives. And a good time. It's dark. Can't escape the car. You have a conversation, you know, about important things. And so I I just said, you know, I've, I've been thinking about this and I've sensed that the Lord wants me to just not take a paycheck for the first three months of 2019. And we'll just give it all to the capital campaign. Silence. First thing she said, I knew you were going to do something like that. Well, I didn't know if that was a good comment or bad. Like, you're an idiot. Why did I marry you? Second question, does that mean we can't do something we were planning on doing? Yep, that's what that means. So she needed a couple of days. A couple of days later, she said, Paul, I'm all in. See, the biggest moment of the capital campaign is not going to be a sermon. It's not going to be a video. It's not going to be a prayer night. It's not going to be a conversation I have. It's not going to be the brochure. All those things are contributing. But the biggest moment of the capital campaign is going to come in a car ride. It's going to come around a kitchen table. It's going to come when you say, Lord, I'm putting everything that you've given me on the table. I'm staring at it. 
And I'm just saying, it's yours. What do you want me to keep? What do you want me to give away? And our prayer, my prayer and all of the capital campaign people, the elders, the staff, been thinking about this. Our prayer is it comes from joy. Comes from the gospel. Comes from saying, I've been radically changed. God has given up all of his wealth in order to welcome me in. So I want to mirror that. I want to mimic that in some way, some small way. And of course, it's all going to be different for all of us. The idea is not to get everybody to give the same amount. But whatever the Lord puts on your heart as you wrestle with that, that's the amount. That's the amount. But you can only really get to that amount, and especially as a couple or as a family, if you're both all in. It's very hard if somebody's not all in. So we're going to pray for you as you have those conversations, especially men as you lead your families in those conversations, women as you try to respond and come together and wrestle through whatever that thing is. Let's pray that all of our aim is joy. Lord, we come together this first Sunday and for the next month, and we need your help to see ourselves, to see our wealth, to see our lives as a gift, and then just decide how we're going to spend our time, how we're going to spend our emotions, how we're going to spend our money. And I deeply pray that it, it comes from joy. That today it might not, but over the next three or four weeks, it'll be a wrestling match just with you about joy and that you would change our hearts, not, not change our budget if Christ Community Church or change our mortgage notes, but you, you would change our hearts. And as our hearts change, so many things can change. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song.